0: Good morning. Um, I did not realize how bright these lights are. I can't. <laughs> um, anyways, my name is Tracy Arrington. Um, I'm really excited to be here to share with you um, today um, on Women's Sunday. And since it is Women's Sunday, um, you know, we're, we're specifically hearing uh, voices from women today. So I will clarify, I am a woman, and uh, I have been female for 44 years now. <laughs> um, I've been a Christian for about 20 of those years. And um, back in my college days, I started off majoring in math. I ended up with an education degree. And then last year, I um, actually graduated with my master's of arts in theology from Fuller Theological Seminary. Um, So I've got a variety of education there. Career-wise, uh, it's been just as, it's actually been more varied than that. Um, I started off as a teacher, I moved into a data entry job, I went then from there into an accounting job, I went from there into a computer consulting job, then into tech support, then into software testing and quality assurance, which is what I do now, um, combined with uh, some editing work that I do um, for some online theology classes. Um, So I'm all over the map, except for my gender. I'm all over the map. Um, So anyways, I tell you all that because um, today I'm going to be talking about calling. And uh, a lot of times uh, calling gets confused with career. Um, Sometimes there's an overlap, um, but sometimes the boundaries are kind of fuzzy between the two. Um, And so in seminary, uh, we actually talked about calling a lot, as you would expect. (laughs) Uh, The subject of calling was consistently revisited. Um, There were several classes um, where um, we had assignments where we would have to fill out our central integration question, um, which was, at this point in your Christian journey, how do you envision your calling to God's mission in the world? And I want to read to you uh, one of the things that I wrote in response to that. I wrote... In 2012, when I applied to Fuller, it's probably good that I wasn't asked, at this point in your Christian journey, how do you envision your calling to God's mission in the world? Because at that point, I had no idea what the answer would have been. So there really wouldn't have been much to write about. Here's a guess as to what it would have said based on my application essay. My calling to God's mission in the world is a mystery being revealed one step at a time. I never even dreamed that I would be in seminary. The idea came from several different uh, sources—a nudging from God to leave my job, a suggestion to return to school, the leading from a spiritual mentor who assumed that school would be seminary, uh, and a discussion with a pastor at church who informed me that seminary is not just for pastors. Um, As for now, God has only revealed Fuller as my next step, and as I obey Him one step at a time, I trust He will reveal His plan in His perfect timing. So I started Fuller not knowing what to expect and have been soaking up all I can learn. However, I'm noticing now that I was equating my calling with my job or my next to-do. And I was considering it something that I couldn't fulfill until after I finished this step. I was viewing it as a destination, not as part of a journey. So the first change to my initial response would be that my calling is a continual journey. It actually took me a lot of courage to admit that I didn't have a calling, that I didn't know what my calling was when I went to seminary. Um, anytime anybody asked me why I went, um, they were expecting a response of some sort of specific job role or, you know, some at least some sort of end goal. Um, and since I'm female, most of the time, it was uh, they were expecting to hear that I was going to be going into children's ministry. Um, and I should make a side note on that. If they were outside of Fuller, they would expect that. Um, but Fuller is actually one of the most... Um, Supportive seminaries for women. Um, there's actually—I don't know if you know this—but there's actually seminaries out there still today, um, graduating people that don't allow women to teach men in their seminaries. And um, those are—if they have students in their 20s—then we still have that ideology floating around for at least 40 or 50 more years, right? Um, so I was really thankful to be able to be a part of uh, Fuller and. That's another reason why it was a good reason, I mean, that's another intentional, another reason we need to be intentional with our kids, both the girls and the boys, um, to let them know that you know, once they're out on their own, um, you're going you're gonna to come across um, uh, teachings like that. Um, okay, back to, back to on, sub, on topic. Um, so, not knowing your calling um, can sometimes bring a lot of guilt and shame with it, um, especially if you've been a Christian for a while. Um, There's kind of like this unwritten performance expectation um, that uh, we should know what we're supposed to be doing, right? Um, Even though Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, um, it's by grace that we're saved. Um, It's not by works. It's not by what we do. Um, But then you go to verse 10 and it says, but God created you to do good works. So when you don't feel like you know what you're supposed to be doing, you can sometimes feel like a failure. Uh, And the world doesn't help with that. Uh, We are definitely in a performance-oriented society. Uh, Doing is part of our worldly identity, um, for better or for worse. Uh, But what God wants, what God says, is that our identity is rooted in Christ. Um, We are more than what we do, um, and Scripture supports that. Uh, it says, we are wonderfully made. That's in Psalm 139, 14. It says, we are set free. That's Galatians 5, 1. We are lovable. Psalm 103, 11. We are forgiven. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. We are accepted. Romans 15, 7. And we are children of God. John 1, 12. Um, what do children have to do um, in life? I mean, for parents to love them they just have to exist um, they just have to exist they just have to be present and it's the same um, with God with us um, all we have to do is be present um, we just have to exist we just have to be present with him um, as much as we can in scripture and in prayer and um, the more that we're able to do that the more that we can get to hear his voice and the more that we hear his voice the more we'll know how to follow him and to find our calling Um, There's also a community form of calling. Um, We are all called to follow, all Christians are called to follow the Great Commission, which is defined in uh, Matthew 22. Um, And there Jesus was asked, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So love God, love people where all, all Christians are called to love God, love people. We're unified in that. Um, even if how we do that maybe doesn't always look the same. Um, Ephesians 4 expands on that. You were all called to travel on the same road and in the same direction, so stay together, both outwardly and inwardly. You have one master, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who rules over all, works through all, and is present in all. Everything you are and think and do is permeated with oneness. But that doesn't mean you should all look and speak and act the same. Out of the generosity of Christ, each of us is given his own gift. We all have our own gifts, our, our own unique gifts. Um, and how that looks in each one of us can sometimes be a different picture. Um, I want to show you some examples of some ladies, some women in history um, that... We um, were very effective in their call to love God and love people. Um, these are women that I learned about in my women in church history class. And as a side note on that, did you ever notice there's no men in church history class? <laughs> That's just church history. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, anyways, the first lady that we learned about um, is Sojourner Truth. Well, not the first lady we learned about. One of the ladies we learned about. The first one I want to talk about is Sojourner Truth. Um, she was an uh, American abolitionist and activist. Um, she traveled and preached on the abolition of slavery. And um, do, when she did that, the audiences that would hear her would say she was so full of the Holy Spirit. And you could see the sparkle in her eye. And um, that she just had amazing, an amazing gift um, to preach. Um, she did things like ride street cars to force desegregation, and one of my favorite quotes from her um, in regards to a little preacher man standing there in black that was close to her um, said, then that little man in black there, he says women can't have as much rights as men, because Christ wasn't a woman. Where did your Christ come from? Where did Christ come from? From God and a woman. Man had nothing to do with him. <laughs> Um, the next, uh, the next uh, lady that uh, I want to talk about is Josephine Butler, and she was a social reformer from England. Um, she campaigned for women's right, including to the right to vote, and she was very involved in um, the cause of uh, trying to end prostitution, especially child prostitution. During that time, um, she fought to raise the age of consent from 13 to 16. Um, so it's still not great, but um, it was at least one step closer to ending child prostitution, um, and she was key in ending the trafficking of young women and children into European prostitution. Um, and then the last lady I want to talk about real quickly is a lady by the name of Pandita Ramabai, and she was a social reformer in India. Um, oh, I don't know where her picture went. Anyways, uh, she translated the Bible into her native tongue. Uh, she wrote and fought against child marriage and for women's education. And um, she rescued um, numerous um, women, outcast women, and children um, during some hard times in India. And um, the, the actually the shelter and the, the mission um, shelter that she um, had had them go to or took them to um, is actually still in um, still in operation today, from what I understand. So before we all start feeling the guilt trip of not measuring up. <laughs> Um, these ladies were social reformers because that's what they were called to be. Um, I know countless people who are great at their calling to love God and love people um, and who are not social reformers. So um, we can't compare ourselves. Um, But what we can do is use stories like this as inspiration to push us one more step out of of our comfort zone, one more step uh, along the journey of our calling. Um, So I once heard a talk by an author um, who would go around to various speaking engagements um, with the idea of inspiring um, people to find that one thing, that one passion, that one purpose for their life um, so that they could pursue it 110%. Um, And she did that for quite a while until she got a letter from a lady who um, was discouraged by her talk um, because she had been searching for years to find that one thing Um, And she couldn't find it. So she was feeling defeated and discouraged and helpless and hopeless. And um, one of the things um, that that speaker hadn't realized is that while she had known since she was in grade school that she wanted to be a writer, not all of us have that same experience. Um, So I can kind of relate to her, uh, to the letter writer, um, except that I would like to hope, I hope that I can say that pursuing Christ is my one thing. Um, But how I do that is varied, is very varied, and um, as varied as my work history and my uh, school history, and it cannot be compared to anybody else's journey. Uh, So the big lesson that I've taken away from all of that is um, to embrace the fact that there's no formula to following God, we all have different ways we're supposed to follow Him, Um, and then to embrace the journey that He's calling me to, Um, and my prayer for you is that uh, you'd be able to do the same. Thank you.
1: Good morning. Thank you, Tracy. God apparently has one thing that he wants to tell us today. Because I titled my talk, How to Find Your Calling When You're Not Called. Does this sound familiar? Um, I'm Tanya Ryder, and I just want to say welcome to Women's Sunday. Um, I want to take a minute, first of all, to tell you just a little bit about me and about two women who raised me. Um, The picture on the screen, and you all feel free to laugh, is from the mid-1980s. I was somewhere around 12 or 13. Um, My dad had not been in my life on a daily basis, and therefore his extended family was also not in my life on a daily basis. My mother was an only child, and therefore the seven people you see on the screen are my core family group. You notice there's only one guy in that group. That was my grandfather, and he unfortunately passed away within a couple years after this picture was taken, leaving me in a family awash with estrogen. Even our dog and cat were girls. Um, My mother and my grandmother did a fabulous job of raising me and my three sisters. They never talked about what we could do as women but they never talked about what we couldn't do as women. And I think my takeaway from that is that it just didn't matter. It never occurred to me to think maybe I should or I shouldn't do something because I was female. As a result, I successfully pursued an education and career in the sciences, which is not traditionally a female role. But it never occurred to me to look for discrimination. I never felt that I was discriminated against. Um, Maybe I was and I just didn't notice. But because my mom and my grandmother had done such a fabulous job of making sure my sisters and I were grounded in who we were and what we were capable of, it was just never an issue. And I'm really thankful to them for giving me that preparation for life. With that said, and with the belief that women have a lot to offer in every area, including the church, I will say that I spent a lot of my life not feeling like I was called to do anything in ministry. I was a Christian for a very, very long time, from a very early age, but I really didn't feel like I was called. Why? Because my definition of calling was very much the traditional Christian definition, where you have that burning passion deep in you to devote your life to an area of ministry. Maybe that's evangelism, maybe it's mission work, maybe it's being a pastor of a multicultural church, Um, but whatever it is, I didn't have it, and I even, went so far as to feel like, well, maybe I'm not really a Christian if I don't have a call to do something for God. But I began to see over time that it was my definition of calling that was at fault. Um, This morning, what I'd like to do is to talk about a couple other kinds of calling and what God has shown me for myself about those things. And maybe you'll see yourselves as well. Um, The first kind of calling has to do with your passion. What I call a passion-based calling. This is something that you get super excited about no matter how it comes to you. For me, it's animals. If you've met me and you've heard me talk about my dog, you know this, I love animals. I always have. When I was a kid, I never played with dolls, only stuffed animals. I took care of every single stray that wandered onto our property until my mom gave up and let me adopt them. That's just what happened. I did horseback riding instead of team sports. I did horse camp every summer. And that's just who I am. That is an enthusiasm and a passion that is in me. I don't know how that relates to the calling that god has for me but i know somehow he will use it i've recently begun doing animal assisted therapy with our dog and that has been really fun it's not specifically a christian enterprise um, but i see so much potential for spiritual fruit for the opportunity to bond with people over a shared love of animals And the opportunity to build bridges and relationships with the people that I meet. And to share God's love for them through this common interest that we have. So that's the first type of calling that I want to encourage you to look for in your life. And that is the calling of your passion. The second has to do with your gifts and your strengths. Now, here again, we can kind of break it out. There's are spiritual gifts, which I have two verses that I would like to read to you. Um, and if we can put those up as I read, that would be great. The first is Romans 12, 6 through 8. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. And the second is 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, and to another, the effecting of miracles, to another, prophecy, and to another, the distinguishing of spirits, to another, various kinds of tongues, and to another, the interpretation of tongues. So you can see in these two passages that there's a big list of different spiritual gifts. But you know what? None of those jumps off the screen to me and says, here's your calling. Welcome to the world. I can function in some of these. I can serve. I can give. Um, You know, occasionally God might give me words of wisdom. If I'm really pushed, I can teach. But none of these defines me. And again, this is a traditional Christian list of gifts. But you know what? There's more than God could list in the Bible. We are all special. We all have gifts, whether they were written down by somebody in the Bible or not. There are three more little snippets of verse that I want to read. And I want to read these because they are so encouraging and uplifting. First, Jeremiah 1.5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Jeremiah 29 11, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. In Ephesians two ten. for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. These things speak to me. These are the things that we tell our kids. You are special. You are gifted. You are good at something and we need to all find and figure out what we are good at. We all have weaknesses, we all have strengths. Now, let me tell you, as women, it is so much easier for us to see our weaknesses. Am I right? We see what we're bad at. Part of that, I think, is because we're sort of raised to feel like self-deprecation or self-putdowns is the same thing as humility. And it's not. That's slapping our creator in the face because he is the one that made us and he gave us those strengths. Acknowledging those strengths is not being stuck up. It's not being egotistical. It's giving glory where glory is due. So I have gifts. I have strengths. I'm intelligent. I'm organized. I'm articulate. I'm a good writer. I am calm. I am very even-keeled. I can be a voice of reason even in disturbing times. I am generous with what I have and with who I am. And I believe that throughout my life, God has given me the opportunity to use those strengths for the calling that is associated with my gifts, a gift-based calling, if you will. For instance, when I was in college, I needed money. We all do when we're in college, right? Um, Knew a family whose daughter in high school had missed a lot of classes, a lot of school, because of illness, and they needed someone to tutor her so that she wouldn't have to repeat a grade. I accepted that challenge, spent time with her every week working on various subjects, and we ended up talking about a lot more than math, the solar system, or grammar. We also got to talk about things like peer pressure, How your choices that you make when you're a teenager affect you when you grow up? How should you stand up when someone puts you down? And I think in hindsight that I had an opportunity to give that young lady some big sister type wisdom and love that maybe she wouldn't have heard if those same words had come from her parents. So in closing, I wanna say that just as Tracy said, we all have a calling. We might not be able to sum it up in one little phrase. We might not have that aha moment until we stand before the throne on the judgment day, but we can identify our gifts. We can identify our passions, and we can use those things for good, not evil, to further the kingdom of God, and to bless the people around us to fulfill the Great Commission. Thank you very much. And with that, I'll turn it over to Shelly.
2: Hi, I'm Shelly Kim. Um, My portion of this, this talk is very different than the first two that we've heard today. And uh, what I'd like to tell you is that actually, uh, this talk is, is really more for me than it is for you. <laughs> um, I see this as an opportunity to get outside my comfort zone and I see this as um, an act of surrender to God. And so um, it's really about my story, my journey, how I got here and what God has revealed to me the past couple of years. So um, my family immigrated to the States when I was four. Uh, We arrived in a small town in New Jersey, um, mainly populated by Italians. If you've ever seen the reality show, Jersey Shore, (laughs) those were my peers. So you can imagine how someone like me stood out from that crowd. Um, I knew right away that I was different. I tried really hard to fit in, um, but that's a completely different story for another day. Um, Interestingly, my parents set up a Korean video and grocery store in that town. Um, You know, when I think about it, I don't know how we even made a living because the the Asian population there was very small, but they worked really hard. They worked 10 to 12-hour days, seven days a week, and they did that for many years. And so what that meant was my younger sister and I were latchkey kids. We walked home by ourselves. We let ourselves in. We cooked ramen. You know, after school, um, we watched a lot of TV, uh, and we ate a lot of junk food. Literally what we would do, my, my dad would literally drop my sister and I off at the grocery store. And we were maybe in middle school, and we would grocery shop by ourselves. So we would go from aisle to aisle with a big cart and pick out whatever we wanted, because there was no adult there. And uh, we would pay with a credit card, and he would pick us up. And so... Again, not a lot of adult supervision. Um, I I feel like a lot of my uh, thinking was based on what I saw on television. I thought that was normal. I watched things like Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Family Matters, Full House. I thought that was what a normal family did and what it looked like. And so I was very torn inside as to what my life reflected versus what I saw on television. Um, I learned from a young age that children are, are seen and not heard. Um, we never spoke to back to our parents. Uh, when we were told to do something, we never asked why. Um, and, and that was the way that my parents were raised. It wasn't any different from what they knew as normal. And so that was the environment that I grew up in. And uh, I realized that when you're an obedient kid, you get a lot of praise. People love you. Um, uh, and, and so I equated praise with self-worth. And I constantly sought after that. As long as I'm doing things that people tell me to do, I'm meeting their expectations, then I'm worth something. And uh, because vulnerability in my household was considered a weakness, we never showed it. We never asked for help. We never said, I'm sorry. We never talked about our feelings. We never said, I love you. None of that ever happened. And so even though my sister and I knew we were loved, there was never a doubt that, that we, weren't, we were not loved and taken care of. Um, But words were never spoken. Um, I distinctly remember, I think I was about eight years old, where I uh, spoke up to my mom and I said, I don't agree with you, I don't think that's right. And and she blatantly said, you're stupid for thinking that way. And that moment um, triggered in me that it's easier to repress than to be seen as dumb. And so my whole life, I took the road of least resistance I basically did what I was told to do. Um, I got good grades, I I did all the chores, I took care of my sister and my cousins. Um, I even went into pharmacy school. So let me tell you, I don't like science. (laughs) I never did, I still don't like it. Um, I remember, I think it was early in my senior year, I told my dad, what about accounting? I like numbers, I'm really detail-oriented, I think I'll be good at that. And, And he told me, you are a small Asian female you will not make it in this business world. You cannot pursue accounting. And so I submitted. I went to pharmacy school. I guess I graduated okay. Um, and, and by no means do I see that as a regret. Uh, I know that pharmacy brought me here to Houston. Uh, it led me to Paul, which eventually led me to Nathan and Avery. So I'm very blessed by the road that I took. Um, but it made me think about how I got there, why I got there. Um, we went to church as, a, as, a, as children, as teenagers. It was a roller coaster ride for me. Um, I, I was never really secure in my self-worth because of what I experienced as a child. And then a couple of years ago, a coworker introduced me to minimalism. I know what you're thinking. You own like 10 things. You live in a tiny house. It's all white walls, right? That's exactly what I thought too. Um, But he introduced me to a couple blogs. I started reading more about it. They actually call it rational minimalism. And the definition definition that I I like the best is that it's the intentional promotion of the things we most value and the removal of everything that distracts us from it. Um, And so even though it started out with me decluttering my house um, and my closet, Paul will tell you if you compare my closet to his, completely different. I have probably like two racks. He has like all, all seven filled. Um, and so what started out with with just removing materials, whether it's clothes, whether it's um, stuff around the house, I cleaned up my cubicle at work. Um, it led me down a journey where I started to evaluate my values. What is it that I value? And I know a lot of us would be like, oh, I value family, and my faith, my, my health. We all know that those are all important things. But What specifically about those things do you value? And does my life reflect that? And uh, when I asked those hard questions, I realized it didn't. How do I spend my time? How do I spend my money? How do I use my words? They did not reflect my values. Um, And so there was a lot of internal um, distress. when I I battled those questions. And I really believe the conduct of our lives is a reflection of our thoughts. It's a reflection of what's in our heart. Um, So I encourage you to really think, write it down. That's helped me a lot. So the more I understand myself, the more I actually understand other people. I realize that we are different. Um, That's actually very helpful because for a long time, I would um, point the finger at Paul. Why does he do this? Why does he think that way? I don't understand. Um, but he's very different than I am. I'm sure you guys all know that. And so um, I, I feel the more I understand myself, the more I understand Paul and other people. So that has been a really um, great learning experience for me. I've also learned to be a spectator of your own thoughts and emotions. What does that mean? Anytime I got emotional, it would be repressed, for sure. Um, I would just ball it up inside. But I started to ask myself, why are you getting defensive? What, what about that comment rubbed you the wrong way? I um, started digging, thinking, and I realized a very innocent comment by a friend or a coworker. I equated that with them telling me I'm not good enough, uh, that I'm not worthy, um, that I'm stupid. And I felt like the eight year old girl again. And so I realized um, all of those resentments um, have never gone away. Uh, So I encourage you that when when you start feeling emotional, ask yourself why. It's actually much deeper than, that guy's a jerk. Um, It actually triggers something inside of you. So I encourage you to be a spectator to your own thoughts and emotions. Um, I think when we start telling ourselves the same story, it becomes like background music in your mind. It's actually there all the time. We just don't even recognize it. And it affects how we act, what we say, and how we treat other people. I like the quote by um, Helen Keller, which says that character cannot be developed in ease and quiet. And to be honest, I think that's true because from taking the road of least resistance, I really haven't put myself out there. I don't like uncomfortable situations, um, but in a sense, I wondered if I have built character in me. Um, I wondered who I am and who I'm supposed to be. Um, So I started listening for God. When I ask people, how do you hear God? Most people don't know how to answer. Um, I think God speaks to us every day, big and small ways. We're so distracted, though. We're thinking about what we need to do for the day. We're thinking about the bills. We're thinking about the comment that you just heard. We're thinking about the traffic that you're in. But if you listen and you pay attention to the moment, I think God speaks to us in a very number of ways. So obviously through the Word, spending time in the Word. And in 1 John 4, um, 16, it says... So we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. And uh, I felt like I was full of fear and I didn't want to live like that anymore. I also think he speaks through other people. Just like my coworker who introduced me to minimalism, I had no idea when he told me about a blog post. I was like, all right, let me read it. Let me see what it says. But over the past three years, it has really changed me, um, how I view the world, how I treat other people. Um, I also think through books. Um, This is a book that Pastor Wayne introduced me to uh, by Henry Nowen in the name of Jesus. I read it a couple times. It's really powerful. I encourage you to read it if you can. Um, And I think it also uh, speaks to us through our convictions, kind of similar to what the lady spoke about, our calling. I don't know what my calling is um, because I've had such a hard time with self-esteem. I feel like I'm not really good at anything. Um, But what I think is when you're convicted, when your heart breaks for something, listen to it. Our hearts break for different things. Some people say, I can't stand when human rights are violated, some people say, I really want to stand up for our veterans. They've served our country. I want to serve them. Some people say, animal, love animals. Um, you know, I think for me, my conviction is abused and neglected children. I have a heart for that. And I've been asking God, what do you want me to do with that? I don't, I don't know yet, but I'm listening and I'm trying to figure out how that conviction relates to his calling for me. Okay, so my journey forward, um, instead of running away from fear of judgment, I'm running toward love. That's what I feel like I've shifted. As opposed to running away from something, I'm really actually running towards something. Um, One of the ways it's helping me do that is by using a gratitude journal. It's just a five minute journal. Um, It basically breaks down the sections to what you're grateful for. We know that um, writing down what you're grateful for is actually very healthy and helpful. So November 17th, 2016, I am grateful for Paul, a very hands-on and involved father. Um, a good night's sleep. I'm grateful for the leadership team at Woven. Uh, what would make today great? Quality time with my coworkers, laughing during the workday, decluttering my desk at work, um, da- daily affirmations. I am an intentional and meaningful person who deserves to be present in the moment. And then at the end of the day, it says, three amazing things that happened today. I enjoyed a steak dinner under the stars got to be silly and make my kids laugh. Um, I didn't shy away from awkward moments and had hard conversations at work. And also there's a section, how can I make today even better? Um, I wish I didn't let my fear of others' opinions cause me to become defensive. So I'm trying to make this a practice, trying to do this on a regular basis, so I recognize um, what's happened during the day. Um, but still a struggle. I'm, I have been this way for 37 years, and it's very hard to change. Um, so uh, I only tend to share when I feel safe. Um, again, it's very hard for me to choose when I can be vulnerable, um, but I'm, I'm seeking more opportunities to do that, and this being one of them. Again, what are you chasing after? What is your treasure? As Matthew six twenty-one states, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Um, think about what your treasure is. Think about how your re- your life reflects those values. Um, another lesson I've learned is that you will find what you seek. Um, for example, I'll use Paul because he's my husband. Uh, so if, I, if I'm not feeling so good toward Paul and I say, you know, he's really selfish. For the rest of the day, I will find every single thing to back me up. Right? He didn't take out the trash this morning. It's trash day. Right? He's watching football. I'm doing the dishes. Right? Um, How come the kids are not taking a bath? Where are they? But then I, I said, let me challenge that. Let me say the complete opposite. Paul is actually very thoughtful as a husband. You know what? It's true. I noticed, I noticed he did the laundry today. He actually gave the kids a bath, right? So you will find what you seek. You will find what you seek. So it's very important as to what you're looking for. So I thank you for listening to me and for hearing out my story. I I am trusting God a little bit more every day, learning to be more vulnerable, uh, learning to put myself out there outside of my comfort zone. Um, So I'll just leave you with uh, this quote by Brené Brown. Uh, A sense of worthiness inspires us to be vulnerable, share openly, and persevere. Shame keeps us small, resentful, and afraid. To love ourselves and support each other in the process of becoming real is perhaps the greatest single act of daring greatly. And I realize that my desire is to be seen and to be heard and to be loved. And so that is my journey.
0: This has been a Woven Church podcast. Woven Church is a multi-ethnic missional church that meets in West Houston. We invite you to check us out on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. To find out more, visit us online at
2: www.wovenchurch.org That's www.wovenchurch.org